Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Good morning, everyone. I have to say hello to everyone. I say hello, hello, hi, how you doing? Because I was just so terribly distracted during, the, during that time where we were supposed to greet one another. Just infatuated with those Allen twins. Forgive me. Uh, they are amazing. So good morning. Now that, now that my attention is where it's supposed to be, uh, it is a great morning, nice and bright. It was, I was driving last night when the snow was falling, and it was beautiful. Even though sometimes I don't really like snow, and I know I've shared that. But it was really beautiful, just sparkling and a bright and I was just reminded, God's in everything. This is the day the Lord's made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, we began the year, 2021, as amazing as that is, uh, with the end of Matthew chapter 28. So if you've been with us since then, uh, you know we talked about the Great Commission of Jesus. And I just want to remind you a little bit about what that says at the close of Matthew chapter 28, Jesus was about to ascend into heaven and he said to his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So we talked about that. We talked about obedience and we've begun this quest We've begun a journey to dig into these teachings and commands of Jesus. And it's not just a theological study. This isn't just textbook stuff. We want to get to the real practical daily application of what Jesus is talking about and commanding. Make application, and that's why we have this title, Life Apps. These are what Uh, Jesus taught and how are we going to put them into practice so we have the life apps of Jesus and we've talked about some of them already the foundational uh, teachings of the commands of Jesus the early pages of the gospels tell about uh, Jesus as he began his ministry he said repent all four of the gospels that's how they begin and record Jesus a ministry starting that he preached repent And then, of course, the Great Commission, where he he said baptize. So we've talked about that living and applying repentance in our lives and applying what it means to be a resurrected person, resurrected as that image is in baptism, death and resurrection. So we've talked about applying that. We're now moving into more of Jesus' teachings And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today and also a little bit from Hebrews chapter 10 and 11. Matthew chapter 5 gives us the area where we'll look at today. It's the opening of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And I've mentioned this quite a few times. The Sermon on the Mount, it's early in Jesus' ministry. Uh, He was doing many miracles Signs, miracles, healings, and of course that drew attention. It would for 
any of us, we'd be drawn to someone who could heal the sick and perform great miracles. So crowds form and, and they begin to follow Jesus and he took the opportunity with all these crowds around him to teach. And he sat them down on a hillside and he, he started teaching them. And Matthew chapter five opens with uh, a preamble of sorts. It's what's called the Beatitudes and uh, they're blessings. They are uh, blessings. They begin with the word blessed and we can read it blessed or we can just read it blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers. And Jesus gave blessings, the, the associated blessings for all of people who live that way. And we covered these. If you've been part of our online daily ministries, we covered these at uh, fall of last year leading into December, we talked about these Beatitudes, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's the last one, the last one that I didn't mention that has a command, if you will, of Jesus associated with it. And of course, we had a little introduction to that from the Treehouse video, but I want to read the passage. Let's read the scripture. It's Matthew chapter 5. It's verses 11 and 12 that wraps up this area of the Beatitudes and these blessings of Jesus. And here's the words of Jesus. It's verse 11, Matthew 5. Blessed or blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if you've come to believe on Jesus and he's your Lord and Savior and you can truly say that and you've committed to follow him, here's the reality. Here is the reality. You will be insulted. All manner of evil will be said against you. You're going to be persecuted because of Jesus, because you believe that his sacrifice paid for your sin. Jesus did not say if you are persecuted. He said when, when you are persecuted. So what should we take from that? Count on it. Count on a little bit of Trial and tribulation because of your faith. But what of it? Is Jesus going to keep you immune then from this persecution? Is he going to lighten it up for you? He didn't say that. He said, when you're persecuted, rejoice. Now that's the instruction. There's the command. In the persecution, rejoice. Be glad. Hey, it's coming. Be glad. In some English versions of the Bible, you'll read this. You, it'll be a little more than rejoice and be glad. It'll be rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Why the modifier? Why, why the adverb there? Why add exceedingly? 
The Greek word that's used here in the Gospel of Matthew, the Greek word that uh, Matthew used to record the words of Jesus, it's this word agaleo, and it means exalt. And I love how uh, James Strong put it in the Strong's Concordance. This is how he defined the word. Put it this way, properly jump for joy. Jump for joy. Well, that's super glad. This is more than just you're happy, you're thrilled. This is an outward expression. You're going to jump for joy. And I think of it like this. If we people if we picture people in sporting competitions, they're often excited when something goes well for them. They make a score or whatever. In baseball, it's, it's the home run. And I remember, and I'm going to date myself a little here, game one of the 1988 World Series. I'm really not a huge baseball fan. Don't watch that much, but I was watching. And it was the Los Angeles Dodgers versus the Oakland A's. It was the bottom of the ninth inning. There's two outs. The Dodgers are at bat. And they are behind by one run. The A's pitcher walks a guy, Mike Davis. So he's on first base. He steals. He goes to second um, when the next batter came up. But who was that next batter? He was standing there in the, the on-deck circle, and when it was time for him to walk out, he turned around and went back to the dugout. And out from the dugout came a, a, a player named Kirk Gibson. And Gibson had been a hero here in Detroit, and he had played a long time. He helped the Detroit Tigers win a 1984 World Series. But here in Los Angeles, he had hurt his knee on one leg, and he pulled the hamstring on the other leg. So he had two bum legs. They didn't even think he was going to play that game. And here he comes out of the dugout. He had gone and put on his uniform. And he comes out. He's like hobbling. And you could see the pain. This is it. This is the game on the line. It's four years since he won his last World Series. He's four years older. He's got two bum legs. The count goes to three and two. Then comes his pitch, right? This is it. He's going to strike out or he's going to do something. He's going to hit this guy in, tie the game, and he, hit, he hits the ball. And Gibson was a left-hander. It's going to right field over the wall. It's a home run. And it was amazing. The crowd, it was like electric. This guy starts hobbling around the bases, but he's going like this as he goes, and he starts fist pumping. I mean, he is the definition of exceedingly glad. This is what it's all about, man. This is, this is the World Series, and it's a home run, a game-winning home run. This is exceedingly glad. And I want to ask you a question. If Gibson were standing there and that pitch came and he swung and he was like Casey at the bat and he missed, he whiffed and he struck out, would there have been that? Yes! Would there have been the fist pumping? 
Probably not. Have you ever seen it? You ever see a player strike out and start dancing? You ever see a quarterback get sacked and spin the ball and start, you know, doing something, dancing? Probably not. I don't think I've ever seen it. But in life, in life, you're facing tough stuff. You're facing a strikeout. This is the kind of image Jesus is giving. Ridicule, insult. You're getting put down because you believe in him. And your life is now affected. Maybe it's your job, your livelihood's at stake because you believe in Jesus. Maybe it's at school, you're getting picked on. What are you supposed to do? You are supposed to do some World Series, game on the line, home run making, exulting, jumping for joy. This is, this is really what's going on. This is what Jesus is describing. And it makes zero sense. Who does that? This doesn't make any sense. How can you rejoice and be glad? How can we, I, be, be jumping up and down and fist pumping when we're getting insulted and we're facing persecution? How does that even work? Well, here's the app. Here's the app. What did Jesus say after rejoice and be glad? Consider the reward. Rejoice and be glad, be exceeding glad, because great is your reward in heaven. All right, so now we've, we've got some eye on the prize stuff, so to speak. When you consider the reward in heaven, that'll bring some rejoicing. And what is this reward? What is the reward of heaven? Well, first of all, it's eternal life. And you can't get any better than that. You can't get better than that. Revelation chapter 21 and 22 give us descriptions of heaven and what it's going to be like. Take some of it in. There's no more death. There's no more tears. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. There's going to be a river flowing that's called the river of life. John's description's probably weak. He just says it's going to be like crystal and I gotta imagine it's even way better than that. Words probably couldn't even get to how beautiful it was. There's gonna be no more curse. We will see the Lord, it says in Revelation 22, face to face. Now that's amazing. That's something to look forward to. That's something to rejoice and be glad in. His name, it says, will be on our foreheads. We're going to be named identified by our Lord. And there's going to be no more night. The Lord's going to be the light of everything. And it says in Revelation 22, this is forever and ever, eternal. Now there's a fantastic reward. The New Testament describes different rewards. More. Crowns. Crowns. Paul writes about the crowns. James writes about them. Peter writes about them. Paul writes of receiving these crowns as rewards. In 1 Corinthians, he says, it's an eternal crown. It's not a 
not a crown. He, he makes the, the comparison to what an athlete in the games might receive. This was the, the Greek games. This was uh, the culture of the Greeks still was part of the whole Roman Empire. They had taken over for, um, the Greek Empire and a lot of this influence of games and it's where the Olympics originated and the winners would receive a crown or a wreath. Paul's like, that's nothing. That's, that's nothing. You are going to receive an eternal crown when your life is knit with Christ. He wrote to uh, his protege Timothy. In 2 Timothy, when Paul was facing his end, he knew he was, his life was on the line. He said, I'm looking forward to a crown of righteousness. To the Thessalonians, he wrote of a crown of rejoicing or, or a crown of glory. In the book of James, the letter of James, James wrote about the crown of life. For those who persevere under trial. Hey, this, is, this, this is really parallel to what Jesus was saying. James actually gave a bit of a beatitude himself in James chapter 1. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. That's similar to being persecuted. Blessed are you when you persevere under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive reward, crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Peter, in his letter, he wrote of the crown of glory, and he described it as never, ever fading. Again, this is a tie into eternity. The, ro the reward of the crown has been ins inspirational. I don't know that we talk about the reward very often in, in terms of our Christianity and our life, but these are great things to look forward to. There was a hymn that originated right here in Michigan. It's got a Michigan connection. It's an old hymn. It's over 100 years old, still sung in the church. In 1912, an evangelist named George Bernard was tra traveling through the Midwest. He had kind of a home base here in Michigan, in Albion, Michigan. But as he was traveling through the Midwest to what were called revival meetings, there was one that he was heckled incessantly. He was, he was heckled and harassed by several youth. And that meeting really affected Mr. Bernard. He came home to Albion, Michigan, and he was troubled. He was troubled that, that these young people would just have such a disdain for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It hurt them to the core. How could they do this? How could they, they heckle him as he's preaching about Jesus? Well, the, one of the records of his life puts it this way. This was a particularly trying experience, one that caused Bernard to reflect seriously about the significance of the cross and what the Apostle Paul meant when he wrote of entering into the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. The result of Bernard's experience of being harassed and heckled for sharing Christ, it was that he began to meditate on the cross and think more about Jesus 
And out of that came a hymn. And the hymn is called The Old Rugged Cross. And the last line of the chorus of that hymn, it says, I will cling to the old rugged cross and I will exchange it someday for a crown. He, he had this, this inspiration about the reward. Bernard was inspired by the reward in heaven. And that last line of the chorus, it's, it's, it just, it's the refrain sung multiple times through the song. The apostle John who had the, the, the grand vision that he saw of heaven and he wrote about it in the book of Revelation. He saw some that laid their crowns at the feet of Jesus. At the, at the, 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 the feet of the one who was on the throne. And what did they say? It says they cried, holy, holy, you deserve the glory. They, they gave that crown back. And if we receive a crown in eternal life, we might just be compelled to worship the Lord with it. Now, I've touched on just a little bit of, uh, about how amazing heaven's going to be. Eternal life, crowns, and there's even more. There's even more. There are descriptions given in the book of Revelation of this great vision John had and in the Old Testament Isaiah had a grand vision and he, he saw heaven and Ezekiel had a vision and he saw heaven and it even challenged their ability to describe what they saw because it was so overwhelming and beautiful. Ezekiel struggles with describing all of it He's challenged to accurately depict what his eyes beheld. And in the New Testament, there's the Apostle Paul. He also had a vision of heaven. And Paul wrote, we, we see as in a foggy glass. But then we're going to see face to face. Right now, what we know of it, it isn't everything. He said, we know in part, but then we're going to know fully. What awaits us in heaven is beyond what we can even conceive. And Paul, his vision, he saw and he heard things that he described were surpassingly great revelations. And he heard, he wrote, inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Hey, I want to go to the place where there's things no one's permitted to tell that it's going to be that amazing. That's, that's where I want my destination to be. Great is the reward. Great is the reward. And I want to just give one final word on this idea of reward. In the Greek, the, the word that Jesus used, which is used often in the New Testament, it's about wages. It, it, it really talks about getting paid. And what is the reward for a hard day's work? Well, it's your pay. You get paid after you put in your time and you work. And that's what this Greek word primarily means. 
But Paul used it in a, a, a different sense in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and he used this word in the sense of a free gift, that a reward can also be something that you really didn't earn. And that's the point I'm wanting to make and to leave with you, that our reward in heaven isn't something that we earn, that we work toward. It comes by faith in Jesus Christ. It comes by clinging to the old rugged cross. We can't earn our salvation. We can't earn our way into heaven. It's by faith in Christ. Now, another way, another way to make application, to get to, to, get to this sense of World Series, Kirk Gibson jumping for joy kind of stuff, is that uh, Jesus added something. He didn't just say, great is your reward in heaven. He said, for in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if you're gonna get to this place where you can be exceedingly glad, jump for joy, think about these prophets that went before you. Jesus mentioned them, they're forerunners. They were persecuted for their faith. He highlighted that. And who were some of these? Well, for example, there was a guy named Amos. He's an Old Testament prophet. He went from the southern kingdom of Judah up north into Israel to preach a word, to give a word of the Lord. And what did those uh, northerners say to him? Get out of here. Get, go home. Stop preaching to us. Go on. Go back to Judah. We don't want to hear you here in Bethel. Go back there and tell them. Then there was Micaiah. He was a prophet to the king of Israel, King Ahab. And Ahab said of this prophet, he never prophesies anything good about me. Never. Nope. You can read about him in 1 Kings 22. Ahab just, just never wanted to hear from this guy. Well, Micaiah foretold correctly, by the way, that Ahab was going to meet his disaster if he went against the Syrians in war. Well, Ahab just didn't listen to him. That guy never says anything good. And Ahab went to war with the Syrians. He met his disaster. Before Ahab went, though, what did he do with this prophet? Threw him in prison. He said, put him in prison and feed him bread and water. So it goes from a guy like Amos, just get out of here, to going to prison. You could read about Jeremiah. Jeremiah fared worse. Jeremiah was uh, not only imprisoned, he was banned from even coming to the temple in the temple district. He was thrown into a muddy cistern. He was put in stocks. Now that guy was, he was persecuted. And then some of the prophets even gave their very lives. So it's instructive that Jesus is saying, think about these guys. Rejoice, be exceedingly glad. Think about the ones who went before you. They were persecuted too. What might Jesus be getting at? Well, the prophets of old stayed on their mission. They stayed on point, even though they suffered. And we learn from the book of Hebrews, letter to Hebrews, in chapter 11, there's a lengthy description of many of these Old Testament saints. And 
It even talks about what they endured. Let me read Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 16. Gives us a little insight. It says, all these people, all these people, the prophets of old, they were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. This is a reference to the cross and salvation through Christ. They weren't living during that time. They only saw forward to it, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country better than their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So what's the example of these prophets, these forerunners? They longed for heaven. They longed for heaven. So should we long for heaven? They lived as strangers and foreigners on this earth. They had this understanding. Hey, listen, I'm here for a little while. I get that. But it's really not my true home. They're looking for a better place, longing for the better country. Now, if we think of our ancestors, if we're, you know, born here in the United States, we probably could point back in our ancestry to someone who came from a different country. Most of us could say we're not native to the land. And if we think for a moment about our ancestors, Imagine, imagine it's hundreds of years ago. Imagine that you are one of those ancestors hundreds of years ago, and you're planning to emigrate from wherever you live, wherever you're coming from. You're, you're planning on coming to the United States. It's going to be your new country, your new home. And you're certain of this. You're certain that it's going to be a place of more opportunity, more freedom, more liberty. You know, you know without a doubt, you got a better life there, a better life in that country. So what are you doing in your current country? What are you doing there? You, you, you're, invest, you're investing? Are you buying your retirement home there? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that, that 10 acres of land I always wanted with the, the little house and just uh, elbow room, yeah. I'll go buy that. Perhaps you'll be expanding your business, right? You're getting a new boat. You're acquiring things. Are you going to be rooting down more in that, in that place you're currently at, accumulating more things? Probably not. That's really not what you'd be doing if you were looking to a new country and a better country. You're probably preparing your journey. You're preparing your journey, making sure that your passage is secure? Are you taking time to learn about your destination and more about it? You're going to learn the customs and the language and learn about the people and the climate and all of it because that's where you're going. Do you long to go so badly you're going to allow anyone to bring you down, anyone to discourage you? Think about you're coming from Europe on a ship. And it's going to take a couple of month journey. What are people saying to you? Don't be such a fool. Don't be such a fool. The ship's going to sink. Do you know how many of those ships have sunk on the way? 
oh, it's a terrible trip. You're going to get dysentery. Oh, if you ever make it to shore, you'll die there. Is that going to bring you down? Are you going to let people do that? Are you going to let them bring you down? Or is your eye on the new home and you're going to jump for joy and say, I don't care what you're saying to me. I'm going to a new country. You know, I think that would be the attitude of anybody who's looking to go. Forget what you're going to tell me that I'm not going to make it. And that's what these prophets of old were doing. They were longing for the new country, a heavenly one, is the way it's described. And this ties back to the words of Jesus. Great is your reward in heaven. They had their eye on the prize. You can rejoice. You can rejoice when you're longing for heaven, when you know without a doubt it's a better life. It's a better place. It's an eternal life that awaits. And the writer of Hebrews, he, he used this example to encourage the people, to encourage them because of the lives of these prophets. Let's look at what he had to say in the previous chapter, chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 32 to 34, which leads into this discussion of the prophets. It says, verse 32, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Sounds like Jesus. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. Well, what's the writer of Hebrews saying here? Hey, remember your early days of salvation. What happened? What's going on here? Where's the joy of your salvation? Think about back then. You were in great conflict. You were full of suffering. Public shame, insult, persecution, standing next to others who were getting persecuted. Your, your possessions were being taken. But you were longing for heaven, he reminds them. Joyfully. You were joyfully accepting the confiscation of your property. Well, you know, I hear on the news, oh, they're going to confiscate, you know, the government, big hand and all. They're going to take our stuff. These people were rejoicing in it. They were rejoicing because they knew they had better and lasting possessions. It seems that the joy of those Hebrew believers, it was going down. It was waning. Something had happened. And the writer's reminding them, hey, when you first believed, man, you were, you were joyful. Get back to that. Get back to that. In the last line of Hebrews chapter 10, he said, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we belong to those who have faith and are saved. And then opens this great chapter, chapter 11, on the faith of all these who had gone before and the encouragement then, the encouragement to be like one of those whose faith isn't waning. But to encourage all of those to keep their faith in Christ and get back to, get back to when it was fresh. Like, be like those prophets who went before us. They're, they're a great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews eleven sixteen 16 
They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Not, not this earth and clay. It's all going away. And it says God was not ashamed to be their God, preparing that place for them. Man, if you can just get it, get it into you. The Lord's preparing a place. And you can say it personally. He's preparing a place for me. Come on, bring it on. Go ahead, tell me I'm an idiot. Tell me I'm a fool for Jesus. Call me a Jesus freak. Tell me I'm dumb because I tithe to my church. Tell me I'm nuts because I believe I've got an eternal life. So what? Man, he's preparing a place for me. Yes, yes, he's preparing a place for me. I'll long for that. Let's long for that. Long for heaven, and you can rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Consider the reward. Let's consider the reward. Let's consider it this, this morning as we draw our service to a close. Let's consider it as George Bernard did so many years ago when he was inspired to pen and compose the old rugged cross. He considered seriously the significance of the cross and what the apostle Paul meant when he wrote of entering into the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. We're going to suffer, but Jesus suffered more. He suffered more. I was talking with someone on the phone yesterday who's going through surgeries, facing the third surgery, and said, you know, this isn't feel good. I'm in pain, but I know this, Jesus suffered more. He suffered more for me, and that keeps me encouraged. Christ Jesus suffered and died for us. He made payment for our sin. He earned the reward. He earned our reward that he freely then gives us as a gift when we turn our life over to him. Lord, bless your people. God, bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them, but gracious unto them. Lift up your countenance upon each and every one and grant them peace. And may the peace of God that passes our understanding keep every heart and every mind and every soul and spirit through our Lord and our Savior forevermore, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.